So Jesus was asked, by what authority? Who told you that you could do the things that you have been doing? Who told you that you could come into the temple and drive out the money changers, push all the sellers out, and flip the tables? Who told you that you could march into Jerusalem? Who told you that you could heal the sick on the Sabbath day? Who told you that you could teach about the kingdom of God? You're just a backwoods rabbi. Who told you that you could do what you're doing? The question wasn't pulled out of thin air. The chief priests and the elders of the temple had been watching Jesus stir up commotion after commotion as he had been moving from Galilee and through Jerusalem. And on Palm Sunday, when he marched through the gates of Jerusalem, riding on the back of a colt, and then proceeded into the temple and cleansed it, they'd had enough. They had heard the stories of him healing people who had been possessed, healing people who were beyond healing. And he, they knew that his teachings were contradicting their teachings. He knew, they knew that his proclamations about the kingdom of God directly contradicted their agenda. So, they wanted to know who told him that he could do the things that he had been doing. Because from their vantage point, he had gone rogue. But in typical Jesus fashion, he doesn't answer their question. He asks them a question and then tells them a parable. He asks them, the, Jesus asks the chief priests and the elders of the temple about John the Baptist. And at the end of the day, their answers wouldn't have mattered because their goal was not to answer questions. Because we know the end of the story. We know that we're moving towards the cross. We know that the chief priests and the elders of the temple were looking for Jesus to say something, to say anything that would to get himself into trouble so that their problem from Nazareth would be taken care of. And then Jesus has the audacity, has the audacity to tell them that a parable, where at the end of the parable, tax collectors and prostitutes are going to get into the kingdom of heaven ahead of these holy men who had been upholding God's temple. But they would have to wait in line at St. Peter's pearly gates and in Jesus saying that, that was another table flip. That was another cleansing of the temple. And they are at their wit's end with this rabbi from Nazareth. Jesus tells them that a father had two sons, and he asks both of them to go work in the fields. The first son says, no way, father. I've got better things to do. I'm not going. But then later, as the father is standing at the kitchen sink, looking out the window, he sees the son out working in the field. But then there's the second son. The second son says, of course, father, there's nothing more I would love to do than to serve you and to work in your fields. But then later on in the day, that second son has fallen asleep on the couch, and Netflix has asked him, are you still watching? Jesus looks at the chief priests and the elders and he says to them, think for a moment, which one of these two sons did the will of the father? The one who said, there's no way, I'm not going to go, but then had a change of heart and said yes? Or the one who said yes, but then did nothing? And still, the question of authority is lingering in the air. 
The question about Jesus' authority has been asked countless times throughout history, beginning in our Holy Scriptures and continuing today. Who gave this man permission to do the things that he is doing? Because when you are working against the institution, you've got to have permission from somebody, right? We know that from the beginning of his ministry, Jesus healed with a different type of authority, different from the religious leaders. In Mark's Gospel, he heals a man of, who had unclean spirits in him, calls the spirits out from this man's body, and the spirits that came out that had possessed this man knew Jesus was more than a backwoods rabbi. And then on the cross, the Gospel of John records that after Jesus takes his last breath, a Roman centurion standing at the foot of the cross looks up and says, we have just killed the Son of God. Questions of authority, though, still remain today. Who is Jesus of Nazareth, and who told him that he could transform the world? Who told him that he could transform your life? Our attempt at answering this question has led us from theological inquiry to doctrinal statements to heresy and back over and over again throughout the centuries that the church has been wrestling with this question. Christian ethicist and professor at Duke Divinity, don't hold the Duke part against him, Stanley Hauerwas says that like the priests and the elders, whenever we ask about Jesus' authority, we are tiptoeing ever closely towards idolatry and looking for a source that is apart from Jesus. In looking outside of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we are searching for an argument apart from the word of God made flesh. Dr. Hallowas writes that if someone needs a standard of truth to ensure that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, then we ought to worship that standard of truth instead of Jesus. There's no place one might go to know with certainty that Jesus is who he says he is. To know that Jesus is the Son of God, Dr. Hallowas continues, it requires that we take up our cross and we follow him. Like the, older, like the first son, I keep saying older son because I'm the older son in my family and I'm thinking that I would always do the right thing in the story. To know Jesus requires that we have a change of heart. So then what does this parable about two sons tell us about God? How does any of this help us as a church move forward today? I'm glad that you asked those questions because now I can continue with the rest of the sermon. You see, right now we are embarking on a stewardship campaign. It, and it's tempting for me right now to set this sermon aside and to preach something that's super interesting, very engaging, and perhaps entertaining about this parable so that you will be compelled to action somehow by the authority vested by you all into me as your pastor here at Walker Chapel through a, a sermon like that, I could convince you to maybe pry that wallet open a little bit more next year than you have this year. That we can lean on God's grace a bit more through a, a sermon that keeps you laughing and, and wanting to come back for more. But a sermon like that betrays this parable. And a sermon like that would erase the good of the good news of the gospel. The second son said he would go and stayed on the couch. Well, the first son said no and had a change of heart. 
And somehow Jesus' authority in the kingdom of heaven is wrapped up in that. You see, Jesus' authority, like his ministry, transforms the world by transforming lives. The world is changing because your life is transformed. There is not a single person in our gospel readings or in the world today who has an encounter with Jesus and walks away the same way that they arrived. That's what we pray happens every time we gather for worship on Sunday morning. It's what we pray happens when we study God's holy word, and it's what we pray happens every time we step out in mission, in service to God's kingdom. We do not want to leave this place as we arrived. The second son gave lip service, saying yes, all the while never planning to move towards the will of his father, while the first son was changed. So who, under whose authority is all of this happening? Jesus' own authority. Jesus preaches with authority because the king and the kingdom are one and the same. Jesus' authority, spoken through words of grace, through gospel good news, softens all of us when the busy work of life hardens our hearts. It's not that the first son said yes and then went to work. It's that the father's will was done when the son said, yes, father, I trust you. The softening of our hearts is the work of God transforming us from the inside out as we say yes to the authority and lordship of God over our lives. And worship is how we acknowledge Jesus' authority over our lives and over all of creation. We know that Jesus' authority differs from any other authority we are asked to submit ourselves to. Earthly authority is presented to us as a quid with an attached quo. It's a, a back and forth exchange. You give me something, I'll give you something. But the problem with this quid per quo relationship is that our side of the deal always keeps us in debt to the quid. But we worship a God who, while we are second sons, always saying yes, but oftentimes not moved, or maybe we're the 12-hour vineyard from the parable from last Sunday, and we're upset because we've been in the vineyard working for 12 hours, and someone shows up at the last minute, and they get a full day's wage. Meanwhile, we are still drenched in sweat from the work we've done. Our work is never rewarded in the same way that God's grace is continually searching people out, inviting us to leave behind the idea that what we do matters more than having faith in the one who has accomplished everything on our behalf. Jesus, it turns out, is a third kind of son, one that he left out of the parable, the one that agrees to and does the will of the Father. He says it in John's Gospel, that the last yet first son tells us exactly what the will of the Father is, and that will is for us to believe, to trust in God, the king and the kingdom are one and the same. But also, we are the body of that king, and we have been deputized. We have been sent forth to make the promise with God's authority. Promises like, God loves you just as you are, but not enough to leave you just as you are. And things like your sins, all of them, even that one you can't forgive yourself for, have been forgiven. 
Faith in Christ tends to open us up to new things, opening up our hearts, our minds, our doors, and yes, even at times, our wallets, opening possibilities that we do not know are possible, and then leading us to live lives that would not have been otherwise possible to live. Lives devoted, heart, mind, body, soul, strength, wallet, to live under the authority of Jesus Christ. God does have a plan for you. God has a plan for me, for my daughter, for all of us. And it's simply this. It's to have faith. To place our whole trust in God's authority. Nothing more, nothing less. All the while with holding on to the expectation that our lives will never, ever be the same. And so today we gather for worship, proclaiming Jesus' authority over all of creation, accepting his invitation to gather at his table, and expecting that our lives are and will continue to be transformed, all for the sake of the kingdom of God. Amen.